0: This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.
1: Good morning. This is Cheryl Linker, and I am here with this Saturday's edition of... The Master Gardener Hour, and I have a remote guest, Nancy Ross Hugo, who we've had on the show before, and she is a well-known educator, journalist, author, and has just the most gorgeous books in the world. Good morning, Nancy, and welcome to the Master Gardener Hour. Good morning. Thank you for having me. It's, uh, Nancy is in Virginia, I'm in Atlanta, so we're just kind of like chit-chatting about the weather, and it's been a
2: harsh weather, winter weather for this country. Well, here we thought we'd gotten past it, but the last two two nights we've had frost, and last night it did a little bit of damage, so we're, it's not all that unusual, but everybody tries to uh, put things out a little early, and you usually pay for it.
1: Absolutely. Like, as my sister rushed home, came over yesterday, day before yesterday. She said, "Oh, I got to go home and dig up my tomatoes." And I said, "It's April fourteenth. What are you doing? You know, the last frost date for Georgia is the fifteenth of April."
2: And, and my mother used to tell me, wait until 15 days past what we usually consider the last prostate. And she's usually right.
1: So. Yeah, but, God, you know, nobody listens to their mothers about, you know, such as that.
2: <laughs> uh, I know. <laughs> but they do have a longer perspective, usually.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Nancy, um, our guest, um, we had talked um a year or so ago when you released your not your first book but an incredible book called Seeing Trees and I think I've probably bought five copies of this book and and given it to people you want to just tell our listeners just a little summary of Seeing Trees and how you came to produce such a beautiful book
2: right well thank you um uh, the photographer, who is a wonderful photographer, and I had, uh, had traveled all over Virginia working on a book on Virginia's finest trees, and we decided to do, instead of looking at trees in the landscape and looking at great specimens of trees, for seeing trees, we decided to go nowhere, to just look at the trees in their backyards. And to study their blooms and buds and uh, bark and just see what we could learn about familiar, everyday trees. Trees you could study in a parking lot if you wanted to. So that's what we wrote about. We featured, we talked um, in general about the kinds of things to look for. And then we... um, specifically looked at 10 familiar species with broad range, uh, natural ranges that most people could watch if they wanted to, things like the red maple.
1: Right. I'm just going to run over this list for our listener. Um, The American beech, the American sycamore, black walnut, the red cedar, a ginkgo, red maple, a southern magnolia, What a, a tulip poplar, and then a white oak and a white pine. And when Nancy says that these are ones you can look at in a parking lot or look at in your neighborhood, you may see these trees in your parking lot or a neighborhood, but with this book in front of me, the detail and the photography of the different parts and life cycle of these trees is incredible that you guys put together in the book. So
2: it's, it's
1: a job well done on that book. Thank you.
2: Well, the, the fun part about it is once you begin to see these sort of intimate parts of familiar trees, things that are in front of us all the time but we tend to overlook, once you know what they are, you will never not see them again. it's It's like learning a new word uh, or making a new friend. You know, it's just um, it's just so much fun to learn it because it's always been there. We've just been overlooking it,
1: right, right, right. And it's just um, the the cones, the fruit, even like the buds. I mean, of of trees in the spring, and I guess we've had a great our spring. We've had so many different things that normally don't bud out at the same time, bud out together because it's so cold. And then now it's like way past time for everything to happen. So there's just great opportunity to go out and look at the the budding and the the leafing out of 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 our plants
2: right we too have had a sort of a collision of things that we don't usually have because some things were delayed and um, I'm thinking specifically I went on a wildflower walk the other day and we had um, trout lilies blooming with Virginia bluebells and that's something that I usually think the trout lilies are gone by the time the right. Virginia bluebells come right. but um, it's it's been fun it's always different Um but you do, I mean, things like you do always get red maple flowers before you get red maple leaves, and to just know that that red flush in the tops of those trees is flowers, They're and to recognize to them on the ground, yes, is that's just right. a way of um, sort of befriending that tree. Nancy,
1: let's back up just a minute, and... How did you just? I, I kind of like have a couple of generic questions. You know, why horticulture? How I refresh our listeners' memory about how you really grew to have the love of the outdoors
2: and of horticulture in particular? Oh, that's sort of a fun question because I can really trace both my love of gardening and my love of trees to the same spot. Um, We lived when I was, um, I don't know, I guess from about about the age 10 on, in a place where um, my parents allowed me to make paths through the woods just by lining the sides of them with rocks. (laughs) It was on the hillside and it was the most empowering thing. I got to decide... You know, the path turns here or it goes to the right of this tree or the left of that tree. And then I got to plant things by the side of the path. And, you know, sometimes they were bulbs that you didn't get to see until the next, you know, what they were going to do until the next year. But to come back, you know, a year later and think, oh, my goodness, there's, you know, there's a daffodil blooming to the left of my path, you <laughs> That I, for planted, child. that I planted. That I just Right. That, was just, that yeah. was just tremendously empowering for a child. And strangely enough, at the end of that path was a tr- little evergreen my mother had planted. It was a deodor cedar, which doesn't stay small long. No, 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 it's they, they come don't. Come become an enormous tree. But I loved it. I just loved that tree. You know, a lot of people who are tree uh Lovers can trace their affection to one tree or to one experience in the landscape with a great tree and um i don 't know what it was about that tree, maybe the texture, but I was just crazy about it. I uh, swore I was going to name my daughter Deodora Hi, did I did you? not do but <laughs> oh well. no, I did not,
1: and she's but, very grateful oh well, that would have been that would have been a mouthful. Well, I, right. you know, I, I'm i going to say this Seeing Trees is an incredible book, but I have in front of me another book that Nancy um, and uh, Robert worked on together, and it is really one of the most beautiful books that I own, and it's called The Remarkable Trees of Virginia, and I'm jealous that Virginia has these incredible trees, but I'm sure with as much sleuthing, um, we could go to a lot of different states. And a lot of different states have, like, incredible, remarkable trees that are way off the beaten path, and other people could, you know claim such they gorgeous could. trees in their really. area. Tell us, uh, let's talk about this book and tell us, may, let's maybe talk about your top three favorites in this book. Oh my gosh, I don't okay. even know how you could do well, that.
2: <laughs> that's really hard, but let uh, yeah. me back up and say that um, I want to mention Dr. Jeffrey Kerwin because he was a co-author of the book. Okay, I see and at that. at the time, he, was, he worked at Virginia Tech and he um, is the person who oversaw Virginia's Big Tree Program. Um, and he and I had worked together on other projects, and he was a huge help in helping Robert Llewellyn and me find lots of the most beautiful trees in Virginia. So what, um, what is the Big
1: Tree pro- Program?
2: Okay, and... and. Um, The the big tree, I bet Georgia has a big tree program, too. Lots of states have this program overseen by the American Forestry Association to recognize the largest of each species in the state. Oh, yeah, we do. Okay, we have that. Right, and I should tell you, it's not always the prettiest tree, and it's, it's a little bit of a sort of a gimmick, but kids love it, and it is a way of drawing attention to trees. And it's often, often, often quite curious how big they can get. So that was, we actually did only one chapter on remarkably large trees. Um, we also did chapters on historic trees in our state, trees that were uh, community trees, um trees that were particularly old that we could could date somehow that was really interesting and then we did um, some species that were just notable like a redbud a redbud it's not going to get enormous but it's an important tree to our state and our roadsides are lined with it and we wanted to feature that, so we put trees like that in a chapter called Notable Species of Our State. So I really do recommend that other states do it. It has been, I don't know, it's just been the most wonderful four years of my life going to look at the trees, to find them. just We have a big state, <laughs> now, what, and we I, looked at a lot of trees.
1: There is one tree, and I'm flipping through the book as we're talking, and it was a tree that was planted, I think, during the Civil War. And then there's a photograph of, like, a young man and an old man in front of the tree. Do you,
2: is that popping out at you? Young man, you, you may be talking about the, you're not talking about the one with the Matthew Brady photograph of Civil War soldiers under it. i If not, not sure. let's talk about that one. Yeah, let's <laughs> you're, talk about that. you probably talking great. about a different one, but... Um, this one is at the University of Mary Washington in Fredericksburg, Virginia. And, you know, lots of people say, oh, I have a picture of this tree when it was young, such and such. But then they can't find it. So it's, you know, it's sort of sad. It's nice when a tree has been documented, but you'd be surprised how seldom it really happens. Uh, but anyway, at the University of Mary Washington, they had a photo of Civil War soldiers recovering from their wounds under this particular tree on wow. the campus it's a gripping photo because they've
1: nancy i'm gonna have to interrupt you for a quick break okay. and then we're okay. gonna be right back with the master gardener hour quick stakes that's
0: Quick Stakes are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of Quick Stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's Quick Stakes, QUIK Stakes, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now.
3: With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com.
4: When gardening is part of your life... It brings so much. Healthy eating, the freshest, most local produce, and playing in the dirt. At BonniePlants.com, you'll find all you need to succeed. When you grow Bonnie veggie and herb plants in beds or containers, you'll know where your food comes from. Homegrown veggies and herbs ready for cooking, eating, and enjoying. And you did it. So get growing with Bonnie Plants.
0: This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.
1: Good morning, this is Cheryl Linker and I have Nancy Ross Hugo with me, the best-selling author of several just incredible books the one we're talking about now is called remarkable trees of virginia and nancy before the break was talking about a tree that was documented um having photographs of civil war soldiers being treated under the tree um it's just your stories are so special and the photography is so great. What kind of response have you gotten on from
2: your books? A tremendous response. It has just been uh, I think well this may i hope this isn't overstating, but I think it's been important to trees in air state um, sort of a rallying cry for trees in virginia um, and one thing I hadn't mentioned was that we invited people to nominate trees we opened it up to anybody in the state who wanted to nominate a tree and it could be just a tree they loved and as a result we have all those trees documented on the website so so if they didn't um, make it the a, book then they're yes, still everybody recognized. got absolutely everybody got their name and their tree their tree uh listed so you know anybody who was willing to take the time to fill out the nomination form, I don't think anybody did it frivolously. It was it was it was important to have that record.
1: Wow, I'm sitting here looking at an urban forest photo. It's a picture of just this random street. I guess looks like it's in Arlington, in Northern Virginia, Northern uh-huh. Virginia, and it's a very plain very boring photograph of a street with some new townhome type structures and then there is oh my goodness the trees that are lining this road now are probably 200 feet tall that are just absolutely gorgeous willow oaks that line this street well that it-
2: Yeah, that's a great photo. You just can't imagine how important and how hard we had to work to get those before and after pictures. Well, how did Um, you do
1: that? That is tough.
2: Well, you know, you follow many, many leads that don't turn out before you finally find somebody. You talk to historical societies and that kind of thing. Um, I am now in the process, way at the end of the book, there's a wonderful picture of an acorn. Mm-hmm. I see that, yeah. And so that tree, that little acorn has been documented, and I have grown a tree from that acorn. Wow! <laughs> and I've been documenting its growth. It's a it's a chestnut oak, and it's going to be fun to see if people will carry it on after me. Because oh gosh, I thought I've got that tree's baby picture. We're gonna, <laughs> oh, that's cool. we're gonna follow this one all the way that's through.
1: Cool. <laughs> and there, you know, I'm looking at another picture of a tree that has like six children on this just the branch they're on is bigger than most trees you see and it's a uh, in Charlottesville and it's a uh, a white oak of course you know oaks are we all love oaks but it makes you love other trees I mean just it's just incredible a lot of these pictures
2: in Virginia are white oaks. They are, and that is probably my top, I think that is our finest tree in Virginia, is the white oak. takes up a lot of room, but um, I try to tell people if you have a space that can accommodate a white oak with no overhead lines, no sidewalks, no impending development... um, Give it to a white oak, don't give it to a crepe myrtle, because there are plenty of places a crepe myrtle can go. It can go next to a a townhouse, but a white oak really almost requires a quarter acre. So um, if we're going to have trees like that in the future, people are going to have to plant them and give the unobstructed spots to those legacy trees, those trees like a white oak.
1: So, you know, for all our listeners that want to plant a tree, um, in the state of Georgia uh, through UGA and our extension office, we recommend to do not amend the soil when you plant a tree. Is that the status quo in Virginia as
2: well? I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I, I do. Okay. I, I think the argument is you're just creating a little pocket of soil the roots won't want to move out of. Exactly. In some cases, if you're in the habit of amending the soil all over your yard, you know, um, right. I can see. And, you know, if you know there's no hope for it, you're you're not going to plant it in hard pan. Uh, You know, sometimes if you can create a really large amended spot and just keep improving it. Uh, But in general, yeah, I'd agree with that. Hey, so when you, I'm
1: just always so in awe of people that can actually produce a book, be it a novel, be it like a book like um, The Trees of Virginia. How long did it take you guys to put this book together?
2: Well, that was an enormous project. Uh, we, we have talked about doing another one because you could do ten of them and not hit all the great trees in Virginia. But as I have said to Robert and Jeff, I don't want to get into all that money raising again. Right, <laughs> right, right. Because right. we really had to work. We had to get grants, and the stars really aligned for us because we had a great sponsor in Trees, Virginia – we worked very hard to raise enough money for example to to pay for an excellent photographer um and it's not an inexpensive project we spent four years on it uh and uh it was thrilling and wonderful work but uh, it, it wasn't easy
1: <laughs> wow
2: wow
1: well i mean it's it's Truly, truly beautiful, and I just, you know, strongly recommend it to any of our listeners. Now, during the break, Nancy, you mentioned that you've done a subsequent book to Seeing Trees. Can we talk a little bit about that?
2: Right. Well, um, Timber Press in August will publish sort of a smaller version of Seeing Trees called Trees Up Close. And um, it's really, I think, sort of a gift version of Seeing Trees that excuse me <coughs> takes the first half. It's it just organized a little bit differently than Seeing Trees. Um, and it doesn't have the tree profiles in it, but it does have most of the information about what to look for if you decide you want to pay close attention to trees.
1: Okay, okay, so this would be
2: like a field guide type book. It's not really a field guide. it's a little bit it's less um extensive than a field guide, and I should probably mention the um oh gosh, I'm gonna blank on his name the um wonderful field guide that is out there right now that oh. that
1: explains exactly what you need to be yes,
2: yeah, does it by species. This is a little bit more um user friendly for somebody who's first getting into it, and mm-hmm. you, people just aren't used to... People are used to looking for wildflowers and looking for garden flowers, but they're not used to um, looking carefully at trees. They tend to just take a minute at a glance and say, okay, it's like a um, a bush with a big stick up the middle. Oh, my gosh. But in fact, there's got, a lot going on. <laughs> you, we've
1: got a very... Um, a well-educated, um, totally savvy group of listeners for the Master Gardener Hour, and they all—they right. say their number one plants are trees. They have
2: to. I are, cannot. I mean, yeah. I'm just sitting here. The, there, I, the I, older I, you get. Yeah, you just realize trees, you can't plant enough perennials to equal the impact of one good tree. Right, right, right. And I the just older have, you get, the better they get, yeah.
1: Like like we all do. Like we all do. Yeah. just more. <laughs> I just, ha- I went back yes. to seeing trees and I opened a picture to, a, pay, a picture of a, um, a, a sycamore, an American sycamore, and it looks like uh, desert storm fatigue, and it, they, and then I read the caption, and it says, um, "The bark gives the sycamore trunks an army camouflage look." There's no doubt in my mind that camo came from some of the barks of trees. But that's how you know our military designers over history have come up with the way to make their fabrics from so that you would blend in. I mean, there's just got to be the way that that happened.
2: And and the soldiers, you know, were in the woods uh, for centuries, so, you know, that was, you wanted to to make them look like the trees anyway, probably. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. But, yeah, sycamore is a very charismatic tree. There's just so much to look for on the sycamore.
1: Yeah, that's, yeah, it's it's one of my favorites. It really is. Well, okay. I just want to, like, we want to go on and, like, tell us what you've been doing with your blog. And um, this is just kind of, you've got so many different things going on that I want to kind of hear about your flower camp and your blog and what you're doing with that. And then we'll kind of lead into your newest
2: surprise for our listeners. Okay. Well, yeah. Um i very interested in nature journaling, which has to do with, you know, just keeping a record of what happens when in the garden and outdoors. And um, I'm a flower ranger, and I sort of decided to combine those by doing one very small little, I hate to even call it a flower arrangement, it's more like a flower exhibit, on the windowsill every day. And I've been blogging about that every day since May of
1: 2011. Oh my goodness!
2: So, <laughs> it's
1: and we're not talking about we're not talking about making an exhibit, you know, on your kitchen window sill or, you know, your family room window sill looking out, and then leaving it there. For you know, two weeks until everything wilts. It's amazing when you go to her blog that the creative creativity and the genius behind these daily changes in what's going on in nature outside and how Nancy presents them, and it makes you really. I guess it came. I came away with. I am never going to buy an, anything floral again and put in a vase in my house. It is all going to be unnatural. So I guess the florists oh, of America say don't like that, but
2: it, I just got so inspired. Uh, to hear you say that makes it all worthwhile because that is what it's about. Um, oh, that makes me so happy because that's, sort of the goal to make people see that it's right there you know picking up things off the ground to use um sticks winter is really people think well how in the world do you do it in winter i really find winter almost easier than spring because you're not overwhelmed with choices right right um just doing something with gumballs or twigs or you know um anything i also use lots of kitchen scraps yeah Um, i noticed
1: that your um (laughs) upside down onion bulb how did you do that was that did you have a stick in there or what
2: well let's see one my my favorite upside down thing is a beet i just love that the root of a beet hey nancy we're gonna take
1: nancy i don't mean to interrupt we're gonna Uh take a quick break with the master gardener hour and be right back
0: quick steaks that's QUICK stakes are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of quick stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's quick stakes, Q U I K stakes, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now.
3: Thank you. God bless Patriot Conservatives, and God bless Israel in her struggle for sovereignty and security. Did
0: you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like.
4: When gardening is part of your life... It brings so much. Healthy eating, the freshest, most local produce, and playing in the dirt. At BonniePlants.com, you'll find all you need to succeed. When you grow Bonnie veggie and herb plants in beds or containers, you'll know where your food comes from. Homegrown veggies and herbs ready for cooking, eating, and enjoying. And you did it. So get growing with Bonnie Plants
0: this is americaswebradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Good
1: morning, this is Cheryl Linker and I am here with My guest, Nancy Ross Hugo, who is a Virginia native and author of very interesting books about trees and nature. We're talking about a concept called celebrating nature on the windowsill, which is just, I don't know, I just think it's so novel and such a cool idea. Um, Have you been doing this like you said you'd been doing it since march of 2011 but did you always like go out and pick up great cool things out of the out from nature and display them
2: I, i think i think almost everybody you know occasionally puts something on the windowsill just because you know a flower broke off while you were weeding or there was a up stem that was too pretty to throw away or your ripening fruit there. Um, but And I can't remember exactly why. I just wanted... I'm really interested in the creative process. And I just wanted to see what would happen if I tried to do a little arrangement from what was happening outside every single day. And I did the windowsill for a couple of reasons. It It... it forces you to think small, it's narrow, so you're not going to use a whole lot of stems, and I love that interplay between what's going on behind it, you know, the light coming through the window, and sometimes when I photograph it, I can see the prosythia blooming or, you know, the red maples are leafing out in the background, so I just like that interface. Um, so, anyway, I just started playing with it, and then it did exactly what I wanted it to. The discipline of it has been interesting because you have to force yourself to do it on the day when you don't feel like it. Well, let
1: me just and throw one often, question yeah. out. Okay. Yeah. Just what's the shortest amount of time you've spent on a seal <laughs> arrangement, and what's the longest amount of time you've spent on one day's arrangement?
2: Okay, well, it can be two minutes, really. I'd say an average is maybe 15 minutes. Okay. This will sound strange, but the best ones take the least amount of time. Because they they just just jump out at you. They just happen. Or you had a bad one that was not satisfying the day before. And because the way I do it, I post the bad ones as well as the good ones, which is a little embarrassing, but I said I was going to do it, so I do it. But what happens is, well, this actually happened today. I had some magnolia silangiana, deciduous magnolia flowers that got frosted last night, but they were really quite interesting. I thought I'd put them in a little vase on the windowsill. Didn't particularly like that, but then I couldn't quite throw them away because they were pretty to my eye. Uh, They had become sort of a brown-pink color. And I put them in a juice glass, and I liked them there, you know, just to sit them somewhere. Suddenly I went, oh, I like that much better. So tomorrow I'll probably put that on the windowsill. Um, So it's very serendipitous. Um, Sometimes it's just moving one leaf from the vase it was in yesterday into a vase with a new flower or leaf today. There's all sorts of recycling that goes on, and, you know, sometimes the same leaf can appear in, you know, 15 different little arrangements in a month. Which window do you use in your home? I use lots of different ones, mostly the one above the kitchen sink. Okay. And um, that occasionally, the ones that take the longest are when I just determined to get a good photo. It takes way longer to photograph it and post it. Doing the arrangement is an absolute joy. Right, right. Um, Photographing it and uh, getting it on the Internet is a little bit more... Right, you won't be surprised to hear I don't like to sit at the computer.
1: Right, that doesn't surprise me in the least. You probably don't even like sitting at your desk long enough to talk to me for an hour, but I appreciate. No, pretty day like this, I don't. I know I appreciate you doing it. My garden is on a Cobb County Master Gardener tour and. Twenty. Oh my! You should 20, be in today. In twenty days, so I I'm not liking it either. You should but be at home. I, I should be, <laughs> but we're gonna we're gonna. This is such an interesting topic, and I was so blown away. I I hadn't talked to Nancy in you know like a year, and I was on the internet or, or Amazon or somewhere. I don't even know where I saw it, but I saw your name and I saw this book, and I went, "Oh my God, that is such a great." Cool thing because back when you're when I asked you the kind of loaded question about or leading question, not loaded, about have you always collected things? I am such a collector of tiny little bitty things from nature be it lichen, be it yeah. an acorn, be it a rock shaped like a heart, be it a shell, be it you know, a dead bumblebee. I always right. collect things and then, you know, I just kind of like put them somewhere and I never got sophisticated enough to have an arrangement like to do it in a window seal but I've always just kind of kept them around until they either blew away or got crushed or whatever. So, I'm really digging this book and it's, when she says, That's when she says vases, Let's go. Let's call them a vessel because they are anything other than normal flower vases. Some are, and some very gorgeous, but some are very just unique things to put other things in. So, what do you do? Just roam around your house and like yard sales and <laughs> antique stores yes. and look for stuff.
2: Yes, but th- that's the other thing I love about this activity is you don't have to buy anything you don't right. have to um you don't have to buy plant material and you don't have to go out and buy a lot of vases a um there is, though, a trick because there is a certain kind of vase or vessel, let's call it, that's way easier to just drop things into than others. And, and that tell me about with a, with a narrow, narrow,
1: neck. narrow neck. Yes.
2: I knew you were going to Narrow say neck that. and a broad base. Okay. It just is easier. And two perfect examples are a vanilla jar and a vanilla bottle, I guess it right. is, and right. a, um, a cruet. Those, most everybody has one of those, so they're just easy to use. Um, there are. So all I understand
1: the narrow neck, wide the broad base?
2: so it doesn't tip it over. it makes it stable, okay, it got doesn't it. tip over, and plenty of water. Okay. okay. It's the opposite of a um, gathering. Bucket, which is broad at the top and narrow at the base and actually very unstable, but you mm-hmm. can put lots of flowers in that if you 're out in the garden but that's i don't know why people even make vases that shape because it requires a million stems to fill them up right and they're not stable they're top right. heavy um, so anyway um, they I do have a um favorite source of of that kind of vase. Um, I mean, they're fun to find at antique stores, and um, my daughter actually has a little business selling some of the ones that um, I have on the internet. Yeah, and the, uh, but because anyway, you're always you you really
1: have a creative mind to come up with some of the crazy things. I can't wait for you guys. The book. <laughs> let's take a. I just want to take one minute and say the book has not been released yet. So we are. Kind of premature going to talk about um, you know the release
2: of this because what's the date of it, Nancy? It'll be published. It'll be out from St. Lynn's Press in September of this year. Okay, so uh, But you can go to the people can go to the um, website and uh, or the blog spot. Um, it's WindowsillArranging dot blogspot dot com. And they're all still up there since May of 2011. In fact, the very first one's hilarious. It's the uh, the photos are upside down or something like that. You put them on there it. upside down? I did. Okay, you're good. <laughs> Thankfully, you're good. it only took one day to learn that, but I, I left it there. <laughs> oh, you should have. You <laughs> because should have. it was showed
1: what a novice I was. But I, um, I, anybody that can uh, laugh at their own mistakes is my kind of person. Because if, if you can't do that, you can do nothing. But I'm a, like, really bad speller. And I don't know if you guys know how to spell windowsill, but it's W-I-N-D-O-W-S-I-L-L. And I, think, I know that sounds, like, simple, but I was sitting there writing some notes without anything in front of me, and I said, Wendosil, how do you spell that? But, yeah, so yeah, was, no,
2: that's good, you're a good, you're a good teacher. So,
1: it's Wendosil, and the, um, so you've, so the book's already been, I'm interested is in and publishing and everything right. like that,
2: so... It's ready, and it's turned in, and it's going to be... It's turned in. It's right now in the editor's hands, and um, then um, it will. It should be in bookstores and everywhere else by September. Um, but I wanted to go back to what we talked about before about this being different from regular arranging. I really think of it as creative play as much as anything else. And with the bonus of connecting you to what's going on in the garden and getting to celebrate all those little um, whatnots and doodads, all the kinds of things you collect, the bumblebees and the seashells and that kind of thing, and just putting them where you can enjoy them. Right, and it, and it really is,
1: it's its kind of a magical history of um, of your day, and I feel like um, readers will certainly get to know your personality after doing this. One thing that I'm looking or at, better or worse. Right? Yes, yes. I'm <laughs> that we always hear the the thriller, the spiller, and the filler in you know doing container gardening, and I like your concept of. The flagpole, the filler, and the focal point. You want to talk about that for a
2: minute? I'm amazed at how deeply you have looked at it. I'm impressed. Um, Well, this is, I've tried to teach this to all sorts of people, not that it really even requires teaching, but some people are so afraid of it. Um, and this works. If you need any direction, and honestly, I don't think most people do, the, the first thing to do is just put some little wide-base, narrow neck containers on the windowsill, and they will fill up. Right, right. And then just keep playing right. with them. That is, you just have to keep doing it. You're not going to achieve anything if you're not doing it. Um, but here, this is a little sort of rule of thumb that if you, um, want to put these three things in a vase that almost always looks good. Something that's the shape of a flagpole, which might be a stick or a a grass. Um, mm-hmm. Something that is a focal point, like a flower, something a little bit larger, lower in the container that's a flower, or something that draws your eye to it. And then a filler, which is oh, usually just uh, leaves or a uh, multi-stemmed flower that... Nancy, I'm going to interrupt you one up. more
1: time and take a little quick break and we're going to come back with flagpole filler and focal point.
0: Quick stakes. that's
4: Hi, I'm Paisley McDonald, and I'd like to invite you to listen to my show, At Home with Paisley, every week Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern for practical advice and stylish living for your home and office. When gardening is part of your life, it brings so much. Healthy eating, the freshest, most local produce, and playing in the dirt. At bonnieplants.com. You'll find all you need to succeed. When you grow Bonnie Veggie and Herb Plants in beds or containers, you'll know where your food comes from. Homegrown veggies and herbs ready for cooking, eating, and enjoying. And you did it. So get growing with Bonnie Plants.
0: Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on America's Webradio.com anytime you like.
2: This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.
1: Good morning. This is Cheryl Linker and I'm on the show today with Nancy Ross Hugo and we are talking about wind seal arranging and her book that's going to be coming out in September. We were just talking about the concept of a flagpole in an arrangement, something straight, a stick. Something, a focal point like a flower or, you know, what your eye is going to go to. And then kind of just like filling the void, I guess, between the two. Is that the way you'd describe it, Nancy?
2: Sure. And there, um, in the book, I have three examples of entirely different materials doing the same thing. And I don't do that every time. I really just give that to people who you know, like writers who feel like they have to have a subject and a predicate. Right, right, right. Some people are so afraid to start. Right. The trick is just to start and then start moving things around until they please your eye. Because if there are these universal principles of design, you will will feel them. (laughs) You will know them. And, um... I just you'll just have so much fun seeing the way you can trade a leaf from one little vase to another, and it makes a big difference. Right, right. Of course, just a novel way to look at something.
1: And you know, I mean, we we as humans, I think, you know, not to get too philosophical, but we, you know, think we have this great creative genius and know how to do things. But I think the whole push. Of From Nancy is that nature does it way better than we can so she's taking very simple things in some cases and just displaying them and you know they're just they're they don't need a lot of tweaking and a lot of work sometimes.
2: They don't, and, and as I said earlier, really the best ones always are the quickest. Um, I don't yeah. know why that's the case, um, but it is. And, you know, I, I'll, I'll fiddle with something for if I, you know, just want to play with it, but um, this is not uh, brain surgery. <laughs> Right. this is play, and once it starts feeling hard, you're you, something's wrong, yeah absolutely. So, um,
1: yeah, I mean i you know I like the the concept of something that you can do that satisfies you that you can do quickly, I mean, I agree with not having to labor over something when you're doing it for fun. It should be fun
2: no it's it and the whole goal is to celebrate what's going outside and look at it more closely. It is it's really a process of discovery too. Um, I know lots of your listeners or maybe all your listeners are gardeners. You will learn um all sorts of things about um, I combine things in a little vase and think, Oh, that would look great outside. It never occurred to me to, you know, put this with that. And, you know, then you move it around it's a whole lot easier to learn it in the vase than it is to move it to the wrong spot and then the right spot, you know Oh one? yeah.
1: I mean if there's not if there's not a plant that's been replanted three times it's not in the right place.
2: Is that what you're saying? It's a lot easier to do
1: it in the vase it, than it is.
2: It is and then do it outside. Or, yeah, the other thing that's really fun is you have you know, you wish you could put this shade loving plant near that sun loving plant. And you can do it outside, but you can you know, uh, put a hosta leaf with a daylily in... I
1: know, that's a really really good way to look at it. That is definitely creative, and that's something that I didn't pick up on, that, you know, I use hosta leaves in a lot of my floral arrangements because I have a lot of shade and I have a lot of different, like, super cool hosta leaves, but... I'm sitting here thinking about it, and I guess I've kind of done that because, obviously, it's a flower, and it's going to live in the sun, and then the, you dress it up with the hosta leaf or the fern frond, and uh-huh. you are mixing sun and shade, which, but I never really verbalized that or really thought what, that that's what I was doing, so it's, it's, it's kind of well, interesting. They're
2: way... Yeah, way more degrees of freedom using cut material than uh, rooted material and, you know, trying to place things together in a garden. Um, But you've landed on something which is a design principle, which is exactly the same in an arrangement as it is in the garden, which is those large, simple-shaped leaves are so valuable because things like hosta leaves – because they provide contrast to all the fiddly complicated things.
1: Right, right.
2: And and in the windowsill, a violet leaf can function the way a hostile leaf does in the garden. Oh that's in a small arrangement, relatively speaking, it is mm-hmm. a large symbol shaped leaf. So right. um, anyway, that's just funny. I play think to the idea ideas.
1: I think some of the very small um the diminutive arrangements that you did were really precious you know they're almost like you know like little miniatures i mean i like that i think that's just it shows you that big is not always the best except in these trees but whatever i thought it was was really really, really interesting
2: well i try to not use the word miniature too much because some miniature arrangements really are difficult. This is just more... Oh, it's just easy and small. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if I thought I had to do a what a um centerpiece for the dining room table every single day, it'd be like, Oh gosh, I don't think I can get out of bed. Oh gosh. I, I agree with you do <laughs> I mean it's fun fun for, for a holiday, but I don't right. want to do it every day. So Nancy, but, do you um, go on need... book do you go
1: on book tours and, and speak and yes. lecture outside of Virginia about your different things that you do? Do you ever Yes, yes. Okay, well, you're going to have to absolutely, when you're in Atlanta, you're going to have to come and uh, definitely come. And there's, like, a lot of avenues through the Atlanta Botanical Garden or with the different um, master gardening groups um, that have monthly meetings that they would love to see some examples. So do you, when you
2: make your presentation yeah you, I have a wonderful program on all of these topics um, I, I've been speaking about um, seeing trees primarily but I have a program on windowsill art that I'll be doing much more of once the book comes out so yeah I
1: I think everybody would absolutely enjoy that because it really it really is I guess it's it's just a cool concept, and I look back, I've got a couple of um, small vases that are, that I've had since I was a kid. I mean, they really, I guess, were my mother's that were the little bottle, teeny thin bottleneck with a big fat vase, and I remember that they were the vases that she would put in the kitchen window to root plants in she would put like one broken oh, mm-hmm. something sure and sure
2: and you know just to get it and to that root. happens all the time right. yeah you'll i've rooted all manner of things i didn't know would root just because i had dropped them into those little vases
1: right i stuck yesterday um i was working i had as I said, my garden's so on a garden tour, and some master gardeners came over to work as angels in my yard to help me. And these two gals and I, we were working on this, like, monster Armandi clematis that oh. was t- taken over this gate. So some of the pieces were, were broken. And... And I said, I wonder if this will root. And I looked at the other master gardener and she says, I don't know. And the other one, I said, well, this root? And we said, and we all said at the same time, Stick it in a glass. Stick it in someone. Oh, guess I mean, we, what. There's we, a way to find out. We, we, none of us knew. I mean, you know, I'm I'm not afraid to you know admit that I don't know everything, but we just and, all said, yeah, stick it in a stick it in a vase. That's
2: so fun. And you're so lucky to have that plant. It will it will it grows for us, but it's a little bit tender here. Yeah, it's, it's one right. of my favorites. It's, but
1: it's, it's hmm. crazy. I couldn't get my gate open because it had gone. I went out went out of town for ten days. and When I came back, it has like grown like kudzu, like three feet. Oh, anyway, oh I'm jealous. Anyway. <laughs> well, so what, well, even, what's the hardest part about um, about publishing a book? Uh, getting it published. Getting
2: it published. <laughs> That's the hardest. Well, I know yes. several. So um. I, I know your books uh, were um, your. You'd use timber it, it help,
1: timber it, press. Right.
2: It, it helps after you have a couple and I had been the garden columnist for the Richmond Times Dispatch, so I had uh and then worked at a botanical garden, so I had some credentials, but um I have a fair number of young people who ask particularly about remarkable trees of Virginia, this you know, this is what I want to do, how do you do it? And it's a hard question to answer because that is really the culmination of a lifetime of work right, you know you right. just keep you just keep working hard absolutely <laughs> and doing the absolutely. best you can in every job and um well once you, you have know,
1: when you have the credentials and you know you have it's, it's always like anything the hardest the first time you're doing it and then obviously you know if you're producing it's like any anything and if you're producing a product that people want and is of value then you know the second and third and fourth time it goes a little bit easier but i always uh, you know whenever i interview an author that is something that i really um you know i like to ask cuz i well, think it gives they- people motive and motivation
2: Right, and and these days, of course, the the internet has changed everything. When I started the blog, I was just, I thought, oh, this is just so easy. This is so wonderful. If I change, I can edit it. I can, you know, there's no nobody between me and the public. Um, I can change it tomorrow if I want to. I don't usually, but Mm -hmm. I mean, it really is such a new world of. If you really want to get your point out there, there are. So there are many ways. ways to do it other ways. than publishing a book. So, um, what's your yeah. favorite gardening book? Like oh, you,
1: I, when question. I say I don't, I don't really mean picture book, but I mean, is there any go-to gardening
2: book that you use? All the well, time? I guess it would be Michael Durr's Manual of What Is Landscape. Of course, because. it is. That's everybody. And we were on a program together the other day, and it was just so funny because both of us were lauding the white oak and it was there was so much carryover his favorites and mine and um of course everybody who's a uh woody plant lover i'm on my i think third copy of that so anyway it's, it's right it's the bible
1: yeah i would have to say it's mine but i tell you something for a coffee table tree book i'm going to have to vote for remarkable trees of virginia well, so I'm going to have to vote for that. It is a really gorgeous book. Gorgeous book.
2: Thank you so much. We'll do one for Georgia. Get somebody yeah. on it because yeah. it's it's doable. And it, it's
1: got to be. And I've seen a lot of gorgeous trees in Georgia. I really have. We've got some beautiful things. What's your blog site and your website again, Nancy? Because we're going to have to call it okay. quits for day.
2: My website is uh, nancyrosshugo.com. dot com. And the blog is windowsillarranging.blogspot.com.
1: Nancy, thank, you, so, oh, on, okay. sorry, thank you. Thank you so much for right. being
2: with us today.
1: And listeners, uh, listen